0: So much of Star Wars for me is sensual in that I am triggered by the sounds of Star Wars, by TIE fighters streaking places, by Millennium Falcons, by hyperspace, by lightsaber sparks, and by laser beams. Like suddenly I'm like, oh, it's the thing that I love so much. And and those are the Pavlovian prompts to that.
1: A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, three Entertainment Weekly nerds started a podcast, and this is that podcast. Welcome to the Dagobah Dispatch. I am Dalton Ross, and while I am flying solo, or Han Solo, as it were, for the moment, Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan will join us momentarily, along with our guest, former EW editor Mark Bernardin. But real quickly, before we get to that, I want to confirm... That my pants are indeed on fire. I promised you last week that we would have the cast of the upcoming Star Wars series Andor this week, but I am a big fat liar. We we actually do have that interview for you, but we had so much fun talking with our other guests this week about the best moments from every Star Wars film that we kind of went a little long on that one. So we're gonna hold the Andor interview until next week. But trust me, it is very much worth the wait. So without further ado, let's bring in Devin, let's bring in Lauren, and let's bring in our good friend Mark Bernardin as we get rolling on this week's episode of Dagobah Dispatch. Okay, our guest this week worked alongside us in these hallowed halls of Entertainment Weekly for years and years. He's gone on since then to write and produce on shows like Picard, Carnival Row, and Castle Rock. Along with Kevin Smith, he also is the host of the Fat Man Beyond podcast. And as if all that is not enough, he recently was a guest on Late Night with Seth Meyers, talking about his graphic novel Adora and the Distance, which is available absolutely everywhere. One of the coolest dudes in the business, it's my main man, Mark Bernard. What's going on, Mark?
0: Dalton, how are you,
1: my friend? Man, it's so great to see your face, even through the uh, the Zoom screen here
0: as we chat, but to
1: hear your voice.
0: It's nice to encounter you not on an island somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're all on our own proverbial island ever since COVID hit, you know, so, so, so to speak. It's it's great to have you. Mark and I worked together for years at EW and uh, loved working with them. So when someone has been at EW for a while, then they leave, we give them a cover and it'll be something they were really into and we'll superimpose them awkwardly into the cover. So we gave Mark the Battlestar Galactica cover. And turned you into G- Gaius Baltar, if I remember correctly. It's really disturbing-looking dude. I still have nightmares about it. <laughs> oh,
0: it, it, was, it was the best, worst Photoshop job I've ever seen. Because it's like, it's Baltar in the middle, and then there's, there's, there's Mary McDonald as Laura Roslin. Right. And <laughs> Trisha Helfer is six. And I've since showed <laughs> Trisha Helfer that cover. And, uh, and she, was, she was as gobsmacked and disgusted as we both are.
1: <laughs> it's awesome. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to locate that, and uh, you're gonna have to send that to us so we can send that out to Done. everyone. I mentioned you started a campaign to get on Seth Meyers to talk about Adora and the Distance, your fabulous graphic novel. how How did that actually end up working? Like, how does that happen? You just wished it into existence?
0: Well, listen. There's there's I'm sure you've seen an old movie called uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. the papers. the The upshot at the end of that movie is, you know, if the legend is better than the truth, you print the legend. So the legend is. I went on the internet and I rallied the troops to my cause of getting on Seth Meyers. And lo and behold, some Seth Meyers producer saw that plea and saw my video campaign ads and all that stuff. I was like, you know what? I like the cut of that guy's jib. I, he's got a lot of moxie. Let's get him on the show and have him talk about his little comic book. So that is exactly what happened, Dalton. <laughs> exactly what happened.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> mean, I was thinking like, uh, if that's the way it happened, you got to you gotta aim a little higher. You should have been like, get Mark in the MCU. We could have been like, just like casting you uh,
0: everywhere. The key is to aim, is, is to like, find your plateau. Don't ask for the world, you know, just ask for the moon and maybe you'll get the stars. But yeah, it, I suppose that the truth is a little bit more mundane, a little bit more pedestrian, while still incredibly improbable, which is like, you know, my managers and my reps, they saw the video plea and they're like, hey, do we know anybody Seth Myers, Like, yeah, we know the booker. And then they called yeah. the booker and the booker's like, yeah, I mean, sure, I guess. And it just so happened that, like, Mike Shoemaker, who produces the show, also has a child on the spectrum. And he was like, so he read the book and loved the book. And then Seth read the book and really liked the book. And they're like, yeah, let's frigging book this dude, you know. and And the Kevin Smith of it all always kind of helps is the Kevin and Seth go way back. So it was like, well, all right, if he's on with... There were a lot of things that seemed the vouchsafe made easier. It was like, oh, all right, well, he does. Oh, all right. Oh, and Kevin likes him. Oh, that's fine.
1: Yeah. You really were there to check on Kevin Smith's marijuana, let's be honest about it. That's what I was, were really it doing was
0: there. it was still safe and sound in the mug <laughs> on the desk.
1: Listen, your graphic novel is inspired by your autistic daughter. Has she read it?
0: She has not read it because reading is still a thing we're working on, Um, but she has looked at the pretty pictures and she has not flung it across the room in disgust. And so I will take that as a win (laughs) any day of the week.
1: (laughs) That is a win. You're a great dad. And I mean, we had to have anyone that's a dad of a guy named Luke has to come on a Star Wars podcast. That's the rule if you name your kid Luke. (laughs) You're coming on the Star Wars podcast.
0: Yeah, but, but it's Luke with a C because I have to walk between both worlds. I have to walk between the Star Trek world and the Star Wars world, <laughs> all while kind of not really telling my wife that it was either world. I think she's a very <laughs> big fan of the movie French Kiss, in which Kevin Kline played a fellow named Luc Tessier. And I think that was the way that I got it done, was the, it's after one of your favorite romantic comedies. She's like, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it is. We, we, lo- we love
1: stealth baby naming on this podcast. Uh, all right, let, let's get into Mark's sort of theory about Star Wars films. We can have Lauren and Devin react to this, and then we're going to go from there. You have a theory about these Star Wars films, and your theory is, I'll give it roughly, and then you can drill down on it, that base, essentially yes. the sum of parts is often not as great as some of the individual parts within. Explain.
0: Indeed. Um, and it's a thing that I sort of came to with, with the book of Boba Fett which, not sure how the triumvirate here feels about the Book of Boba Fett, I was not the biggest fan. But as I have discovered in my dotage, it has its moments. And I think most Star Wars, it turns out, if you, if you add up the minutes of it, it is not as good as we think it is. In fact, more of it is bad than it is good. But even the worst of Star Wars has moments that are indelible, because those are the things that we remember, the things that conjure us back and hearken to our childhood when we first watched it and we saw that thing that made our jaws drop. And if you can summon one of those in a, in a Star Wars thing, then that Star Wars thing has some element of success. I'm not counting the animated stuff because the Clone Wars, I am, I am still making my way through. I missed it the first go round. I'm kind of needle dropping, and I, you know, I, I tend to take a six month pause whenever I see Jar Jar Binks, and so I'm I'm trying to push my way through now. Yeah, <laughs> totally but it, it, it did occur to me. I was like, yeah. why do I expect these things to be good when, on the whole, most of it is not? It is because I don't need it to be good. I just need it to be Star Wars, and that ended up being the the weird equilibrium that I built with myself. And, you know, it is the internet uh, upon which we have to manufacture the hot take, otherwise we get kicked off the internet. But I think emotionally, that's how I endure the stuff that I don't like in the hopes that I will eventually get the thing that I love, or at least a glimpse of the thing that I love in it.
1: And so, so Devin, that's pretty interesting because what initially when you hear him say that, it seems like a negative take, but it's actually kind of a positive take. It's like finding the you know the pot of gold after a long rainstorm or something that's a terrible analogy, but it's basically <laughs> the silver lining to the cloud, I guess is a better better way of putting it.
2: Yeah, I actually really like that analysis. I think that's been very true to my Star Wars experience too. I think to be a Star Wars fan is to get your heart broken at least once, if not multiple times. You know, this is a franchise that has had so many Ups and downs, some more publicized than others, but there is a sense of magic to it. It's like pizza. Even bad Star Wars is still Star Wars, and I'd I'd rather have that than than just about anything else. I I actually really like that analysis, Mark. I think that loving Star Wars is to inherently love something that is is flawed, but there's still something magical about it.
0: Yeah, I mean that that in its essence is it's what love is, right? Like you don't love a thing because it's flawless. You love a thing despite the flaws that it has mm-hmm. and finding ways to incorporate those flaws into the reasons why you love it.
1: Absolutely. Lauren, how do you feel about this uh, this take from Mark Bernard?
0: I think this is
3: pretty accurate. And I go back to like what I've said before on the podcast of I came of age when the original trilogy came out. So it was like, you know, you got the original trilogy. And then you got a couple Ewok movies and there was really not much else. So you had to watch those Ewok movies a lot to get any kind of Star Wars at the time. And then even when the prequels came out and I really didn't like Phantom Manus or Attack of the Clones at all, but there were parts where you pull it out. Um, and except for Rise of Skywalker, there's no pink in it at all. Um, but you know, I think it is like, you know, it, it's like, I just like Star Wars. And so it's like, even when with Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm like, I just need to see a man fight with lightsaber and, you know, I was good. Yeah, and and that was that was like my bar was low during Book of Boba Fett. The first four episodes I wasn't really liking, but then Mando showed up and Grogu showed up and then I was okay. And so it was sort of like, you know, t- I'll take what I can get because, you know, it's a mixed bag, but it's still the bag I prefer.
1: So let, let's take Mark's theory and let's run with it and let's go through each of the mm-hmm. movies and Mark's going to tell us his pick for the best moment in each movie. And then we're going to tell him oh, why he's right or wrong. We don't know his list. We don't know <laughs> what he's thinking about. So let's, we're going to go in through the movies in chronological when they were released yeah. order the the correct fair. order,
0: the Nothing correct order. order. We're not going to do episodes <laughs> four or five and then one, two, three is flashbacks <laughs> and then six and
1: fair. Um, all right, so no, so let's let's start with uh with a new hope, first one to come out and, you know, obviously just lit the world on fire and was just this major revelation from the first second you see that the s- bottom of that star destroyer on the top of the screen, you're like what is happening? Mark, what's the best moment
0: in a new hope? You know, I think this this was the hardest one to choose because it's got the most of them. You know, ironically the second hardest to choose is Rise of Skywalker, which is like, is there are there any I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, no. But but for me, my heart of hearts, it, it, it lies in the trench. It it, li- it lies in the in the attack run on the Death mm-hmm. Star, and specifically the moment when Han Solo streaks out of the sun and and blows up the errant Tie fighter and says, "You're all clear, kid. Let's blow this thing and go home." Like that for me is what that movie is. That for me is where that movie mm-hmm. summons the entirety of its magic. I mean, there's there's glory to be found elsewhere. There's glory to be found on the Death Star with you know, Han Solo's amazing improv conversation. There's glory to be seen on Tatooine when Luke watches the setting of Twin Suns. Like all of that stuff is evocative. But when I think of Star Wars, I think of that movie.
1: It's, I mean, it's classic. I mean, uh, R.I.P. Porkins, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's-
0: Porn went out for Porkins.
1: It's gotta, it's gotta be that. I mean, I try to think, Mark, I remember when a kid watching it, the trash compactor room scene, like really struck me when I was a kid. And obviously in a goofy way, the Cantina scene, just because all these alien life forms was a huge thing, but it's gotta be the it's gotta be the Death Star run, I think. Don't you agree, Devin?
2: I mean, the original Star Wars is I, I think there's a reason that we all fell in love with it, and I think it's because there are so many of those moments. Even little small stuff like the Jawas or the Cantina scene, or like all of that is magical too, in addition to those big moments like the Death Star trench run or rescuing Princess Leia or um, the first time we see Vader. But no, I think there's something really magical about the trench run that I always loved. It's filmed in a way that I was just actually thinking about this because I just watched Top Gun Maverick and I was I've been thinking about how do you film in a cockpit and tell an interesting story. And I was like, that Death Star Trench Run, man. It rules. It's just, it's you have this sense of of kinetic motion
3: and um, and it's just delightful to watch.
1: Lauren, any disagreement from Mark's pick for New Hope?
3: I mean, I I will have to say that's a classic, but for my own personal favorite moment is when Princess Leia grabs the gun and starts shooting her way out of it, because she's like, someone's got to rescue us. And I'm like, for me, as a little girl, that was like, yeah, you do it, you know? So that's my personal favorite. But, you know, you can't really oppose the trench run. That's pretty
1: classic.
0: Into the shoot, fly boy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Somebody's got to save our skins. Our skins,
1: yeah. So good. All right, well let's go let's go to another one that I, that the next one which is I actually I mean this for me Mark I've got a few mm. different ones I could do which is Empire. I mean Empire Strikes Back, I mean my favorite Star Wars movie, I think a lot of people's favorite Star Wars movie. So and I feel like there's three ways I I could go here. Wh- which way did you go?
0: Um you know, I did not go the way I thought I was going to go because I, I feel like the, the back of my head and in my heart of hearts, I always thought that it was going to be, you know, I am your father, you know, as the, the sort of the signal moment that makes that movie and that entire franchise kind of work. But it actually like when I, when I, when I interrogated my own feelings about it, it ended up being Yoda lifting the X-Wing out of the swamp. Yeah. Ended up being that moment of, you know, you, you can do more than you think you can do. You are capable are capable. Of things that you previously thought impossible, and that is these amazing synthesis of rudimentary VFX, like literally we're just lifting a, an X-wing with a crane, plus John Williams' music, plus a puppet, like, and all of those things together have just conjured like it's all magic. To Devin's point, like it's it is that most elemental version of Star Wars magic is that moment. And at the end of the day, that's what I think of when I think of Empire.
1: You know, it's like, I am your father is one of the most famous quotes in cinematic history, but there may not be a better exchange in any Star Wars film than, I don't believe it, that is why you fail. I mean, that's that's pretty, that's pretty good. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a great mo- like button to that scene after he lifts that thing up. Listen, I think that's a great pick. I think obviously the I am your father moment's a great pick. I will say this, when I was a kid, and I literally saw this from the movie theater like 11 times that summer it came out. <laughs> I just kept going over and over to the movie. And the thing that always got me was when you first see the AT-ATs. like when you mm-hmm. "Doom, doom!" And you see all the, the rebel uh, people in Hoff line up in the trench, like you know, with their guns, Like it just I was like, "Oh my God, here we go. <laughs> it was like the coolest scene in the world, and it still gives me goosebumps every time you first see the AT-ATs. I don't know, Devin, what about you? What's your pick?
2: See, you talked about great exchanges, and I think you guys are forgetting one of the other most iconic exchanges in Star Wars history, which is, I love you, I know. (laughs) To me, part of the reason that Empire works so well is that that center love story between Han and Leia all the little moments of them, like flirting on the Millennium Falcon, you know, him getting finally frozen in carbonite, their their exchange. That to me is just, it's so wonderful. And Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford are the two most charismatic people on the planet. And it's just, I could watch another six hours of them just flirting and gallivanting around the galaxy. To me, it's just such a beautiful Well, told love story in just a handful of scenes, really. And then, you know, basically there was a little bit of a flirtation and a new hope, but, you know, it (laughs) was also sort of the, well, you know, her and Luke, and, you know, we don't, we'll get into that later. But, um, (laughs) but no, like that's where they cemented it as not only like the great love story of Star Wars, but one of the greatest cinematic love stories of all time. And that to me, is is part of what makes, but again, Empire is perfect. You could pick a thousand moments.
1: That, that's a shocking pick from Devin Cogan because I thought she was going to go the moment where Lobot opens his eyes dramatically. I thought that's where it was going to go. <laughs>
2: Apparently I do love my boy Lobot. There's just so many weird little details in in Cloud City, and oh, uh, we we got to. And everything with Lando is delightful from the minute Billy D. Williams shows up. He's this fully formed character, just you know, strutting onto the landing pad. I just, yeah, shocker. Empire
1: Strikes Back. A very good Mm. movie. Turns out. Who knew? Every time I watch Empire now, if it's like just on TV or I put this, uh, you know, Blu-ray in or whatever, I still forget that they've changed Boba Fett's voice. And it gets me every time. I was like, ah, don't don't change that. That's why we love to. No.
3: Empire is one of the only ones where the special edition changes don't really drive me crazy because they don't notice them as much as like when we get to Return of the Jedi. I'm going to talk about that. But, you know, A New Hope and Return of the Jedi, those special edition changes really drive me nuts. But Empire, the, well, the one, WAPA, the one scene's where like, the wapa yeah, scene is better. The WAPA scene is better now. There are yeah. a few little things where it's like they, they kind of fiddle with them, but I don't find them to be as egregious as the other ones.
1: So Lauren, what's your what's your Empire moment then?
3: You know, it, when I was a kid, I didn't like Empire at all because Luke losing his hand just completely wigged me out. So I just <laughs> would never want yeah. to. Like when I was a kid, I was like, give me the Ewoks. I can't take this. I can't take this. This is too stressful. I just can't take this. So it was like really when I got older and I understood how VFX worked and that Mark Hamill did not actually lose his hand that I kind of came around on Empire. And I mean, I will I will endorse Devin's take on the uh, Han and Leia relationship, though I would probably say this scene where they're, uh, I think they're on the Millennium Falcon and they kiss for the first time. Like that's a great, just flirtatious kissing scene. I do think I love you, I know, is kind of an asshole move on Han's part, but you know, the, he is kind of an asshole. Um, so I'll say that. But honestly, it's towards the end when like Luke is like hanging off the uh whatever he was hanging off of at Bespin in, in Cloud City and where he kind of reaches out to Leia with the force and she actually hears him where it's like it's like I know it was very slapdash about exactly when those two became twins, but I did like that little bit of foreshadowing of that there was a connection between these two that they would move on later. But I I think like that in the ending, you know, it wasn't like a rah, rah. Yeah. This is kind of a bummer of an ending, but that I think is what makes it so great. If it had just sort of a, a classically, you know, the heroes won, it would just feel like more like new hope again.
1: Well, that is, that's a great moment, but I want to go back to something, Lauren. So Mm -hmm. do you get PTSD every time someone gets their hand cut off in a Star Wars movie? Because that happens a lot. Like there's a lot of limbs (laughs) getting chopped off.
3: And the thing is like Vader's hand got chopped off, but it was already robotic. So I was like, whatever. But it was also like the same thing happened in Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, when the earwig goes in Chekhov's ear.
1: That freaked me out. That freaked me out.
3: No, I would like not watch. So like, but now it's like, I love Wrath of Khan. So it was like, Empire and Wrath of Khan were two movies where I was like, "Nope." When I was a kid, and like I've come to to like them later on.
0: And the early eighties were rough.
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's like also my, you know, like the Dark Crystal and Gremlins, and there was just a lot of things I was just flee out of the room. Yeah, they like, didn't care
0: about that. children at all. No, no, and
3: my <laughs> it was a very traumatizing time
2: for
0: it
3: to be a child. <laughs> there was a lot of nightmare fuel out there for a little kid.
1: Listen, Sorry. shout out again to Gremlins 2, underappreciated yeah. masterpiece. I uh, just want to throw that out there. All right. Uh, let's get to uh, a kinder, gentler Star Wars movie that maybe was more to Lauren's liking uh, in I the 1980s. I love this movie. Which is Return <laughs> of the Jedi. Mark, I assume your best moment uh, is just Ewoks, Ewoks, Ewoks. I mean, right it's now.
0: all watch all the time. Um <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I think because I, I grew up a little bit earlier that I'm on the wrong side of the Ewok line for yeah, the Ewoks who have I'm on the worked, right
3: side of it. For the mm-hmm.
0: Ewoks who have worked for me. But I think it's it was a toss-up for me between the moment where Luke Skywalker walks into the briefing room as they're talking about the big mission, and like, here's the entire gathered rebellion and they're all doing some stuff. And it's like, Well, who's who'll fly the plane? We need one more guy. And Luke's like, I'll fly with you. And in walks Luke Skywalker, literal like hero of the rebellion. Like Badass Luke Skywalker. And I always imagine, like, the young yeoman Johnson who's just sitting there, like, this is my first mission briefing. And then Superman walks into the room <laughs> and just that feeling of, like, oh, that's right. Here's the guy who's done all the things that nobody else could possibly do. And he's just showing up for his friends. Like, I always liked that moment. But for me, it is the I am a Jedi like my father before, you know, oh. when Luke finally manages to, to devise the way to get to his father. And to say the things that need to be said, and he unsparks the lightsaber and is willing to endure any amount of pain to to redeem his dad. Like that's that's what the entire seven movies is about in that moment. And even though we'll get to the first three, and they don't really uh, the plane that takes off is not the plane that lands, but still, <laughs> I do I, I love that moment. So that's a- it's
1: it's a great moment. He, the way he tosses the lightsaber down is just so great. Everything with the emperor is so great. Ian you know, McDermott is just. Unreal, so good in that the movie. Best. Mm-hmm. But I I love just all the Jabba stuff too. Like all the Jabba's palace, the sail barge. There's that moment that works so well with the music, right as Luke is about to be pushed into the Sarlacc pit. And he just gives the signal, and you know, he gives the little signal mm-hmm. to R2, and there's like the music plays, like, bah, bah, and you look around at everyone, like, you know, it's about to go down. You know, it's about to happen. There's that one second of anticipation before he then does some Greg Louganis thing off the diving board, like <laughs> backflips <laughs> and catches a light. It's amazing. I love that moment so so much. Uh, it just sucks that it ends with the Sarlacc burping on Boba Fett. But anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Devin, what about what about for you?
2: That is one hundred percent my answer too. When I was a kid, I, Return of the Jedi was always my favorite. Um, even though that's changed as I've, I've, I've gotten older, just it was the one I, I liked going back and rewatching, just because I loved the Jabba's palace stuff so much. One of the reasons I fell in love with Star Wars was the sense of escapism and world building. And to me, the world building in the Jabba's Palace scene is just the creatures and the music. And it's it's a wonderful, it's actually very well orchestrated the way the tension is when, you know, Leia is sort of first infiltrating Jabba's Palace to when she gets caught to when Luke shows up in his dramatic all black ensemble. I, one of my favorite things about Luke Skywalker is that he understands the importance of a grand entrance. Like you said, I love <laughs> that he shows up costume change. We see it in the last Jedi too. Like he got a haircut and the man knows how to make an entrance. He, he really does. He is a drama queen, like, like his dad. Before <laughs> <been>. um, <laughs> but I, I've just, I've always loved that Jabba's palace stuff. I love anything with weird creatures and the music is fantastic. I'm not a huge fan of the, the added, size noodles bit in the special edition but um jedi
1: rocks yeah jedi Mm. jedi's rock what can can we say um lauren i have (laughs) to imagine yours is (laughs) Yubnub.
3: yes it was actually i'll back up a little bit and then i'll go into the ending but the scene honestly that that always affected me and affected me the other day and i watched it again was when uh luke unmasks his father his father's dying he's trying to get him on the ship but his father's like, no, I want to see you with my own eyes. And I think especially after the Kenobi from the other day where we see him only getting half unmasked, but like him getting fully unmasked, I've always just thought that was an extremely moving scene. Uh, And I thought like Mark Hamill was great in it. You know, I don't. Quite know why Anakin is like seventy five years old at the time when he's only supposed to be forty five. As a forty four year old, I uh, I, uh, I I object. <laughs> you don't but, protest. Um, yeah. The thing that uh, always drives me nuts about the special edition, but that I still love, is the original Return of the Jedi ending, where Luke returns to Endor. You know his father's burned on the pyre, but then it's just like he he rejoins you know his sister and Han and ev- everybody else, and then he turns and he sees the Force ghosts. And there's just like sort of just such a lovely sense of accomplishment and happiness. And like, you know, you just look at Luke and Leia reuniting and, and not to think about what's going to happen later on. But just for that moment, there's just that like happy sense that they have done the job and that their father is looking on to them and the proper yub nub song and not the other song. So I will literally stop whatever. If I'm watching it on Disney Plus, I stop it. I go to YouTube and I watch the real ending. (laughs) And then, then I, that's like the one thing I was like, if they could just, please just release the right ending of Return of the Jedi.
1: The last, I, I think, Mark, you may know this. The, the last time I think they officially, they did officially release them on DVD, the original mm-hmm. versions. They did. I have, I, have a
3: copy, I have a copy. Yeah. Of, I have a copy of Return of the Jedi because when I saw that, I was like, I have to go get this. But it's somewhere in my house and I have no idea where it is currently. But so yeah. I just watch it on YouTube usually.
1: So, listen, that was the easy part, I guess, because <laughs> uh, we did the other There's <laughs> plenty of options to choose from, a lot to go. Um, so let's go into the prequels now. Phantom Menace, I mean, I'll see what Mark says. I mean, for me, there's just one just obvious choice and nothing even comes even remotely close to it. But let's see if Mark Bernardin disagrees. What do you got, Mark?
0: I got the duel of the fates, baby. I got, now I got we're talking.
1: The correct answer. Only
0: answer, I think. I mean yeah, <laughs> I think. The, that's what I call pod racing. It's not going to get it done. Um,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um you know, I, I, I will say that I, I always did admire the restraint that they then squandered of not showing the double edged lightsaber until that final moment of that final battle. Even though they then put it in the fucking trailer. In the Get trailer. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> just did. Just did. I, I didn't mean to, to blow through it. I was that incensed by it. But yeah. But yeah. Like marketing, just just. Well, the,
1: the toys, right? The toys were going to have it out there anyway. So yeah. But yeah, man, that
0: that because we had wanted for decades to know what Jedi's were actually like, because all we'd ever seen was a kid who never got trained right, a retiree, and. <laughs> you know, an asthmatic dude with lots of mechanical help. We'd never seen a Jedi in their prime. We'd never seen what that could look like. And that moment when you finally get to see when Obi-Wan Kenobi gets angry. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. It's it's the only reason to ever look at any of that movie again. And that great John Williams score and like all of it, like that's that's the moment for me where that movie earns its place in the canon. I do wish That we had just gotten to see that scene and not cut between four other different battles happening at the same time, as would become a a Star Wars motif that I've never been overly thrilled by, where like, no, everything has to be happening at once. That's how you know it's the end. It's like, yeah, but my emotional investment is here. This is where I want to be. Show me the thing that I care about. You know, and that's a problem that has retained and continued even until Kenobi, where it's like, the fight that I want to see is not with the lady chasing a child around the volume, but actually what I want to see is these two guys (laughs) fighting. So yeah, that's, that's my pick.
1: We said the exact same thing uh, about the Kenobi finale. I've said the exact same thing about Phantom Menace. It drives me crazy when you have to switch to the Gungan battle from Duel of the Fates. The choreography on that scene is just lights out. Ray Park is amazing. Ewan McGregor is outstanding in that scene. Uh, Mark, it's not, I mean, it's, it's my favorite lightsaber battle in any Star Wars movie. Just the choreography, the music, everything about it. It's still just every time I see it, I get goosebumps. It fires me up. And Devin, there is no other pit, right?
2: No, there's no other pick. You know, when I was at Star Wars Celebration, they kicked off the big Lucasfilm um, panel by bringing out a full choir and having them sing Duel of the Fates as <laughs> Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen walked on stage. And everybody in the entire arena went bananas because it's just everybody knows what that means. And everybody knows what an iconic... I, again, John Williams is a lot of heavy lifting. We'll we'll talk about some ups and downs throughout this as we get into the rest of this series. But man, John Williams, the man never misses. Yeah.
1: Lauren, anything you want to add to Duel the Fates?
3: I mean, what else is there? My only criticism is I thought they killed off Darth Maul too quickly because I thought he was yep. so awesome. And then I was like, and he's gone? Like, I thought he was going to be the new Darth Vader, though obviously there is going to be another Darth Vader. But like, I was just like, you cut him in half? What happened? I mean, then we all know he comes back later in the Clone Wars through a lot of stuff. But yeah, so I I don't really think there's really much other choice in The Phantom Menace except for that.
1: Yeah, agreed uh, on all counts. All right, let's move on to Attack of the Clones. This is a movie that is really two movies. And one of the movies I think is okay, and the other movie is not very good at all. (laughs) Uh, You have the love story battle, and then you've got Obi-Wan, as Devin likes to say, investigator Obi-Wan, private eye, uh, going out to uncover a mission. Mark, very curious to see what your moment is from Attack of the Clones.
0: It's less a story moment, and it's not a very long one. Because I, I think, honestly, of the prequel trilogy, this is my least favorite. And of the entire Skywalker saga, it's like my number two least favorite, because it has fundamentally no real purpose other than setting up a love story that's never really supported, because I never for a second bought that those two people were in love, other than you know plot convenience. But there's a moment, and I had to look this up because I've forgotten so much of this movie, on Geonosis is the name of the planet. I was just like, other <laughs> sand planet. <laughs> Where you know the the whoever the Oceans are who we're fighting against, and our clone guys who are coming in to save Obi Wan and I may and, and Anakin's life. There's a moment when they're they're on the surface, and it's this sandstorm fight, right? Where it's just it's nothing but obscured and like there's dust in the air, and there's laser beams flying through this sandstorm, and for yeah. like 15 seconds, it becomes this like beautiful kind of abstract moment of just. Color and sound and light and fury and it's it, it it does remind one that George Lucas was at his heart an independent filmmaker and like how can I get across emotion with nothing more than light and sound and like that moment is when it's like oh here's where you were inspired and nobody got in your way or here's the inspiration you had and and nobody else had to yes and you into something different it is. The only thing that I've remembered from that movie, other than Yoda flipping around, which I remember the moment, I was like, that's cool. And then every other time since, like, that's not. (laughs) So I I just stick with that moment of like, here's the futility of war rendered as beautiful as possible.
1: Well, I love love that you picked that moment because it also gets to... Lucas, I think many people would say, including many people that have been in his movies, would say that dialogue isn't necessarily his strong suit, and like dealing with actors and getting the best performance out of actors is maybe not his strong suit. You know, we've talked about the fact that Carrie Fisher in the first Star Wars movie just starts talking with an English accent for no reason, and no one like brought that up. Like we might want to redo this in like your normal accent. I mean, there's just you know a lot of issues in that. So, but you're right. I mean, light sound. Some of those, and and, you know, the prequels suffer from just too much technology, as I think we all agree, like just Mm -hmm. getting away from any sense of practical effects. But there are times where he still could wow you. So I, I really do like that pick. Devin, what do you, what do you have for uh, Attack of the Clones?
2: I think I agree. I mean, my favorite thing is, I just rewatched Attack of the Clones recently because it was the 20th anniversary and our colleague Christian Holub and I did a back and forth on EW.com where we talked about it. And to me, the thing that stood out the most to me about Attack of the Clones is the world building and the production design. It is so, I forgot how nice it is to go to planets that aren't just Tatooine 2.0 or just Tatooine again. I love the the sort of noirish underbelly of Coruscant. I love the sort of Apple Store vibes of Camino. Um, you know, I, I love that there's all these different planets and these different worlds that we're visiting and the reminder that, oh yeah, Star Wars doesn't just have to be Death Stars and deserts. It can be grand cities and Naboo and all these different things. So so to me, that is something I've always really loved, particularly about Attack of the Clones, but really about the prequels in general, um, is that we went to other planets and it was so much fun. And you got the sense that the galaxy was, was a big, wide, enormous place and that's something that to me, you know, when you're a kid and you watch Star Wars for the first time and you hear somebody mention, you know, hey, the Kessel and Run, your, and your imagination goes crazy and sort of figuring out, OK, what was that? And, you know, filling in those those gaps. And so I love I love anything that makes the the galaxy seem bigger. Lauren?
3: Yeah, um, I have to also admit, like, I've probably seen Attack of the Clones the least amount of any Star Wars. Like, I even saw Phantom Menace more than half. So it's like I've only seen Attack of the Clones like two or three times because I can't really. That the love story just is painful, painful, painful. Yeah. Though, though yeah. I do actually think Hayden Christian and, and Natalie Portman did have chemistry, just not with that dialogue. <laughs> um, so a lot of the, the stuff though that I like about attack of the clones is that it sets up the clone wars animated series. Cause it's like, I love the clone wars animated series. There's so much in that series that came from the prequels, but that Lucas and Dave Filoni had time to really explore in that kind of stuff. So I really like Attack of the Clones for setting up the Clone Wars, but not on its own merits. (laughs) I do like some of the production design, like Coruscant looks amazing, and it was not anything I'd ever sort of seen or even thought that there was in the galaxy of Star Wars. So I really liked that, but mostly I just like uh, Attack of the Clones for setting up (laughs) the Clone Wars.
1: Well, I, I mean, I appreciate what Devin's saying about you mm-hmm. get to go to all these different planets. I just wish the whole movie was on Kamino. Like that's the yeah, part of the movie cool. I like. Like, you know, that that scene between Obi and Jango is really cool where they both kind of know that the other person mm-hmm. knows, but they're doing this sort of polite dance. Uh, I like the battle. I like the water planet. And um, so I, I just wish they'd stayed on Kamino, but unfortunately they didn't. And even like, I mean, we're all like, how excited were we for that? You know, we knew that full Jedi battle was coming on Geonosis. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I guess maybe we were all worried that like sync was going to show up in it because that was supposed <laughs> to happen at one point. But that like- wasn't. That was supposed <laughs> to happen. You were on the set. Oh my god. <laughs> you know they gave you the Sam Jackson moment where he's mm-hmm. like, you know, this party's over and like this and that, but it ultimately wasn't as. Other than the Kit Fisto smile, it wasn't I was cool going to say, Dalton, Dalton, you're, oh, no. yeah. you're that, giving
2: the short shrift to our number know, one guy. We are we here on Dagobah Dispatch are the world's biggest fans of Kit Fisto. Yeah. Just with one smile, he's just like, hey guys, ah, we takes. love him.
0: Maybe the takes. best name
1: all. in all of Star Wars, Kit Fisto. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Devin's got a Devin's got another name. She'll come back at you from that movie. Who's your favorite uh, name from Attack of the clones, Devin.
2: Oh, my my boy, Elon (laughs) Sleazebagano, which is his real canon name. (laughs) He'd like to sell you some death sticks until he's told to go home and rethink his life.
0: Until he then goes and invents uh, electric cars. (laughs) Hey! (laughs) All right, let's move on to Revenge of the Sith.
1: Episode three. I know what I've got is my favorite moment. Mark, what do you have? You know, it's...
0: It's it's easy to just say the Mustafar fight because duh, it's the it's the reason why we're here. It's the it's the mm-hmm. it's the reason why this entire prequel trilogy exists is to get to the point where he turns into Darth Vader. But I think like in, in retrospect, and I remember talking to 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 Kevin Smith about this, the balls it takes to not just make your protagonist the villain, and not just to make him a bad guy, but to make the vehicle for his his villainy the murder of children and to stick to those guns. And like, that's only a thing you can do if you're also paying for the movie. If like, (laughs) because that does not survive a studio note session. That does not survive executives. That does not survive a studio who has any say in what movie you make. It's, oh, this guy is a child murderer and not just like one, but all of them. And we're going to redeem that guy by the end. I'd like to see you try. And he's like, well, I'm paying for it. So we're trying. But I think that level of commitment to the bit that is Darth Vader is so incredibly impressive. At the end of the day, as much as I do love, I have the high ground Anakin. I think it's the fact that they went that dark. Is Order 66, this thing that, that hangs so heavy over Star Wars itself, I think is kind of great. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my pick. And then they went back to it for Obi-Wan Kenobi, which
1: is kind of cool. One of the cooler things. that It's they the
0: did. snap of the Star Wars universe yeah. around which every story has to take place and revolve afterwards. I want to
1: give a special shout out to that weird space opera scene where we learn about Darth Plagueis, Aww. the wise. That's 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 <laughs> that's a great scene. I love that scene. And I love just like Anakin being like, just not quite smart enough to figure it out. When I mean, you watch it, he just looks like kind of like a dumb school kid who's someone, the teacher's so trying like to explain dumb. algebra to him yeah. and he just can't <laughs> quite put it together. I also want to give a, a shout out. You know, everyone talks about hello there, but my favorite Obi-Wan Kenobi line is, killing Sith Lords is our specialty. It's like like that weird accent. He looks on special specialty. So that's great. But to me, it is, it's not just the whole Mustafar battle, which is fine, but it is specifically watching Anakin on fire with no limbs and trying Mm. to like with this one mechanical limb, trying to crawl out of that. And then just the fire catching up to him and just like exploding on his face and him yelling, I hate you! And like his eyes already look like the devil and he just looks like a crazy person. And remembering that this is a movie that was being seen by really little kids. You know, the first PG-13 Star Wars movie. And and you're talking about how Lucas went there, Mark, with the killing kids thing. And he went there in that scene a lot further than I expected it to do. And it, I think it still plays, Devin.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was I was one of those kids. I was 12 years old when I saw this in theaters because I am a baby. But I, I'll tell you that... that- specifically Ewan McGregor saying you were my brother, Anakin, is maybe the hardest I had ever sobbed in the theater and possibly the hardest I've ever sobbed to this day. I just, something about the emotion in Ewan McGregor's voice. I was like, he was his brother and now he's chopped off all his limbs and has left him on fire and he killed a bunch of children. Like it's just, it's so over the top dramatic and it works. It shouldn't work, but it does work.
1: Lauren, what about you?
3: Yeah, I, I will have to say the two is, uh, I would say the space opera scene and uh, and then also Ewan McGregor's performance in the final Mustafar battle. And I will say that it's those two, it's Ian McDiarmid's performance in the space opera and Ewan McGregor's performance in the Mustafar battle that I think really just drags the prequel trilogy over the finish line. I remember the, as a Star Wars fan, like for Revenge of the Sith, just hoping it was decent because I didn't like Phantom Menace and I didn't like Attack of the Clones. And I'm like, oh god what has happened to my beautiful star wars baby and then it was like just those scenes the last 45 minutes of revenge of the sith just slaps like (laughs) it is really just lucas knew where he was going and he got the plane and it landed on the runway like he knew he was telling the story of the fall of anakin skywalker And I think that performance in the space opera by Ian McDiarmid, and he was like undefeated in the prequel trilogy in terms of he did not need any direction. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was supposed to be delivering. And he came on set and he delivered it every day. The green screens, whatever, he was undefeated. He knew exactly what he had to do in in that role. And then Ewan McGregor, like the scene of him just sort of howling at Anakin, just so upset. Because you're seeing this like normally cool template Obi-Wan just lose himself in grief. And I just really always thought that was such an effective scene. And I like I was just a joke that he was the one who just sort of took the whole thing and dragged it over the, the finish line.
1: Well, it's, it's like playing into Mark's theory about these moments. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting because, you know, I did a lost rewatch with my daughter a few years back. She'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm all, I'm all kind of worried getting t- near the finale in the final season. I'm like, oh, no, you know, it's, here we go. But it plays so much better on a rewatch, just because you know the faults, you're mm-hmm. ready for the faults, you can accept the faults, and you can focus on what you really like. And you know that really plays true with me with Revenge of the Sith. I-, I used to get really bugged about just the timeline. Like, what is the like what what are things happening? I thought she was just pregnant. Now she's delivering the kid. Like, there's no timeline given at all, so you just don't understand what's the window frame this is happening. In. But you know. I can let that go now. And I can just focus on the things that I actually do like about the movie and really, really enjoy it. Uh, which is nice. and not the
2: fact that she dies of a broken yeah. heart. Yeah, just like <laughs> even though we She's can we save for no people, reason, we could save people from literally like catching on fire and rebuild their limbs. But uh, I don't know. This can't. lady said, yeah. sad. <laughs> yeah. We can't
1: fix it. Devin, you can stab someone through the heart with a lightsaber and they'll be okay, apparently. But <laughs>
2: yeah, I want to know who this droid is and where he went to medical school. <laughs> yeah. Like what, like backwater Tatooine with a uh, you know little little med school.
3: And also why they didn't know that there were twins until this point. It's like, there's two babies. And I was like, what was her prenatal care like? She should have known this. Like,
0: he, He's just a programmer for binary load lifters and somehow he ended yeah. up in mid-school. I don't do this kind of work.
2: Yeah. He's like, I only work with droids. I don't know about yeah. human
1: what? anatomy. Oh, Beep, I thought a back-to-tank could fix everything, but apparently not. Um, all right, we are six films down. We got five more to go. We're going to get to the... The All the prequel trilogy and some of the uh, standalone movies and the best moments from each of them right after this quick break. All right, we're sitting here with Mark Bernardin talking about the best moments from every Star Wars film. We've gone through the first six movies. We've got five left to go, which brings us to the return of the franchise, the Disneyfication of the franchise with The Force Awakens. Mark, what's your favorite moment from The Force Awakens?
0: You know, I think that that The Force Awakens exists for a number of different reasons. Um, most of them are financial. But I do think that it also exists as, a, as an exercise in nostalgia. And I do quite like Force Awakens as its own standalone movie because it does manage to do this incredibly heavy lift of giving us new characters we're eventually going to care about while servicing the 45-year-olds who came because they wanted to see their original characters back again. But for me, the character that it turns out that I wanted more than anything was the Millennium Falcon. And so it's that moment when Ray and Finn, looking for some way to get off Jakku, it's like, oh, we'll take the junk over there. And then they run that way. And then suddenly it's the Millennium Falcon. And then that action scene where she's figuring how to fly it on the fly. And when he's kind of shouting stuff and he's in the, the gunner's seat and they're like, there's a moment where that just becomes Star Wars again in the way that the movie hadn't been before. And when you hear those noises, so much of Star Wars for me is sensual in that I am, I am triggered by the sounds of Star Wars, by TIE fighters streaking places, by Millennium Falcons, by hyperspace, by lightsaber sparks. And by laser beams. Like suddenly I'm like, oh, it's the thing that I love so much. And 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 those are the Pavlovian prompts to that. And so that first scene where the the Falcon is doing Falcony stuff again, for me is the moment. Like it's not even when when Han and Chewie walk on the ship, which is nice, and I'll give it that. And it's definitely not the moment when Kylo kills his father, which didn't see that coming, but cool. Like I I I dug that. But it was as an exercise in, in, in shifting me back quantum leap style to my eight-year-old self, that's the one that does it.
1: And it's done so well. Like, I mean, we knew the Millennium Falcon was in the movie because it was in the trailer or whatever. But we're thinking, all right, well, Han's got the Falcon. He's going to show up and be in that at some point. And she's on Jakku. And they, they had that one line as they're running. He's like, what about that ship? He's like, that's a piece of junk. And then the ship they're going to blows up and then it, the camera pans and you see the Falcon and it's like, whoa, like it's, <laughs> it's such a great reveal. And I just watched this movie again recently. And, and I agree with everything you say, Mark, it's, it's so funny. My feelings are very conflicted on Force Awakens because as I watched it, I realized that they were sitting in a room, in a conference room. And like, how can we give them the exact same movie As the original Star Wars, but just change it up enough. Like it's kind of like the new Top Gun, actually, which is (laughs) the the exact. You knew, like, I I scripted that movie out two years before I saw it. I knew exactly what it was going to be. So they basically give you, they're force feeding you what they think you want, but they're right. Like it works. Like the movie works. The casting's a plus, and it's not an inventive movie. But it it totally delivers what you want to have. And that Falcon moment is just a great reveal. So I, I really do love that pick. Devin, well, what about you?
2: Yeah, I totally agree in that, that this is sort of, you know, someone took a new hope and sort of filed the, the serial numbers off a little bit. You know, it, it's, we've got a lot, it's a lot of similarities. But for me, one of my favorite, um, moments in this film is is a little moment. It's where we sort of first meet Ray and we see her, you know, living on Jakku. We see her hiding out in basically the remains of an old, like I think it's an ATAT. And we see her like making that little dinner with the thing that puffs up and like turns into a loaf of bread. And I thought that was so cool. And there's we see her sort of sliding, almost sledding down the sand dunes, and we hear this great new theme from John Williams, Ray's theme. And it just has this sense of Magic and wonder, and this idea that she's just this, you know, small person in this is great big galaxy. That I, I just remember that little sequence really stayed with me the first time I saw it, and has really stayed with me since.
1: Great visual, great yeah.
0: scene. I mean, and, and I think to your point, Devin, the thing that specifically that movie gets that none of the TV shows for me have gotten is scale. Star yeah. Wars was mm-hmm. huge in that movie, and the idea that she's like riding her little sled down out of the blast. Tubes of a star destroyer and just like dead things on the horizon, evidence of a war that had long since passed. Like it's just big again in a way that it hadn't been for a long time and might never be again given the way we're currently getting Star Wars.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, Lauren, what about you? What's your favorite moment from the movie?
3: My favorite moment, and uh, I'm just going to be pretty basic here, but was when uh, Ray called the lightsaber to her during the battle with Kylo on Starkiller Base. I mean, and again. As a as a little girl who was really excited to see Prince Leia take the gun and start shooting for herself, just getting the girl getting to be the Jedi. I was just so excited by that. And and like when she called it to her hands and then she kicked Kylo's ass. And even just that part where he's like, I'm gonna try I'll teach you the forge, I'll teach you the force. And she just like closes her eyes and just connects to it herself. To me, that was such a an amazing moment to watch. And I had actually at this point in time, I had, like, a six-month-old daughter. I hadn't been to a theater in, like, six months. It was the first time I had been back to the theater uh, since I had a kid. One of the grandmas was babysitting, so I was in the theater, and I was super excited, so I was just super hyped up for it. And I was like, she's a Jedi! Because they kind of hid that information uh, in the marketing things.
1: Yeah, the scene where where he's trying to break into her mind, too, is pretty great.
3: Yeah, oh, that no, one, and first, she just sort of yeah. completely stops him. I was like, mm. yeah. That's mm-hmm. good
1: stuff. All right, uh, that's Force Awakens. Now we get to go to Rogue One. And much like Phantom Menace, I will be very surprised if any of us has a different pick. Uh, I think we'll all have the same one. But maybe someone will surprise me. Maybe Mark Bernard is full of surprises sometimes. Mark, what's the best scene of Rogue One?
0: I feel like I'm going to surprise you. Because okay. I, know, I know what we want it to be. and I do, I, And I love that scene. The thing I don't love about that scene is that suddenly this makes this a Skywalker. Where I love the fact that it wasn't before. I love the fact that this was just a movie about nobody who had the force. About like the dudes on the ground and the ladies on the ground who just made stuff happen. And so as much as I love Vader sparking a lightsaber and just going ham on a bunch of dudes in a corridor. You know, which which took my breath away when I saw it. it It hasn't sat as well for me going forward. But the thing, and and I, and I think this is like something Devin had said before, the idea that this movie gave me Anats on a beach is never a thing I thought I'd ever see. You know, the, the the ability to suddenly conjure new Star Wars for me out of what felt like whole cloth, and like give me uh, give me Vietnam, you know, in Star Wars. Give me. You know, grunts on the ground, give me, I'm one with the force, the force is one with me. Give me, give me people who believed with no evidence of that belief, but who believe that their sacrifice was worth it. You know, like I, I I love a good sort of heist thing. I love a good dirty dozen band of brothers. We're going to go take that hill, even if none of us come back from it. But that beach sequence just took my breath away because I've just never seen anything like it.
1: And the scene where they shoot the ad at, and it looks like it's going down, and all of a sudden it goes, yeah. and then powers
0: back up. <laughs> yeah, and like x wings screaming over palm trees. Like, when does that happen? Like, give me the new. It's such a great point, and you couldn't be more wrong.
1: It's Vader! What are you talking <laughs> about? What's wrong with you? It's Vader, dude! They made Vader a badass again. They felt like, you know, they- they turned Vader, now we're watching him as a little kid yelling, yippee, and then he's <laughs> complaining that he doesn't like sand, and it's like, oh, God. And then they made him a full-on certified badass again, just like slicing and dicing and force-pushing. It's Vader, 100 times out of 100, Devin.
2: Uh, see I gotta I gotta side with mark on this one man <laughs> I the, all the beach stuff for pew, me pew. is so good. <laughs> I remember the first time I think it was actually published in EW. It was the first time we saw this image of all of these stormtroopers in their white armor walking through like crystal blue water and it just like it, it was my desktop background for a while. I was just so like struck by that image um because again here here was a you know a story that just wasn't on some like dirt tatooine planet or like in the corridors of the Death Star. It was, it, it felt fresh. I, I really love Rogue One. I don't think I love it as a lot of, as much as a lot of people do. Um, I think the first two thirds are, uh, extremely wonky and extremely messy. But for me, that, that final third is just, just magical from the minute they, they land on, um, on Scarif is just, is really, really magical.
1: Yeah, I, 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 um... I hear what you're saying. I think there are some wonky parts early in the film. The Saw Guerrero stuff doesn't really work for me no. that well, but, but, but you know, my feelings on K2SO and I love the scarab stuff so much Lauren. So now both Mark and Devin are wrong. Uh, please tell me that there's some sanity happening in your corner of the uh, universe. Nope. Cause I'm
3: going with a completely different scene from all of you. So, Ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm making it spicy. Um, I actually, what I really, uh, just like found gobsmacking when I actually saw this was in the theater was the destruction of Jeddah. And like, we're talking about, you know, how it was scale. Uh, and that's what we've kind of been missing, but it was just like just seeing a planet being destroyed by the people who were on the planet. Cause we didn't see that on Alderaan. We saw a little bit of it in Force Awakens, but not really, but like just the full scale destruction and them trying to escape out of it. And it's like, you're just like, well, I know they're not going to get killed this early, but just like the way that the planet was just destroyed and like they were fleeing. I just thought that scene was gobsmacking to me. I'm going with that one.
1: It's a cool scene. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a cool scene. So it's so like it's coming from the top and the bottom. Like you just yeah, think of it's like, like you the know, it's like a so
3: planet folding in on itself. And yeah, it was just like, and like,
1: it's like it's like some like... that's not like Inception stuff they're doing right yeah. there. Like I don't know how it's happening in the physics of that, but it's happening. Actually, the coolest image, perhaps in all of Rogue One, is not in Rogue One. It's that one in the trailer oh, where yeah. all of a sudden. The TIE fighter comes up, right? Mm-hmm. Right. As Jen erso is on the plank and the TIE fighter's there. I think that was literally just made for marketing for the trailer. This is the
3: thing that I would love to see what the original cut of Rogue One was because I was working at EW at the time, but I remember we would do these trailer breakdowns and I would have to sit there and screen grab the whole trailer. And so when I was watching the movie, I still remembered all the scenes from the trailer and I'm like, we've never gotten that scene. So I I was able to sort of see, like, because I know the production of Rogue One was very complicated. They had to bring on someone to finish it up. And, you know, it was completely reworked. And so you you can really, if you know all the sort of backstory, you can see the seams of how these two movies were sort of joined together. And so, but it's like, now it's like, as we get further apart of it, and I haven't seen the trailers and that sort of stuff, it sort of gels a little bit more. But I think at the time I was just like, oh, that Tie Fighter scene's not in the movie. Aha, huh, that scene's I, I, not in the and, movie. Ha, huh, this isn't
1: and, in the movie. There are lots of scenes in that that were in the original mm. cut. You're right, but I, 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 and I could be wrong, and people will hit me on social media if I am. But I think that scene was not in the original movie. I think it was literally just created just like trailer marketing scene? purpose. Yeah. yeah, like someone just said, it's because I think that scene is in the movie, but they just put a Tie Fighter behind her.
3: There is a scene where she's uh, up there, but it's mm. like there's right. no Tie Fighter in it. But. So
1: so. cool. Well, okay, all three of you are wrong. Good to know. It's the (laughs) Vader scene Uh, as we move on to The Last Jedi. Now, this is interesting. Devin loves, 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 loves this movie.
2: I'm wearing my directed by Ryan Johnson Super Yaki Stuff shirt right now.
1: She's got the shirt on. She's repping it. There's many people that we know hate, hate, hate this movie. I think this is the best movie for Mark's theory because there are chunks of this movie that I have issues with. I don't like the way the Luke Skywalker stuff plays out at all, but there are also certain moments of this that for me are like the highest of the high, you know what I mean? There are certain visual or scenes or moments that I just love so much that all the stuff I don't like, I'm okay with because I just know every 20 minutes there's going to be something that's going to happen that I'm going to absolutely adore. So Mark, tell me what you adore in this movie and your feelings on just Last Jedi in general.
0: Um, I'm closer to Devin than I am closer to, to the other side of that particular coin. I think there's so much to like about this movie that I can, I can overlook the entirety of Canto Bight. I can overlook <laughs> the entirety yeah. of Benicio Del Toro's presence in this movie. And much as I love Benicio Del Thank Toro, you. like, why are you here? Like, we, Mm -hmm. you know, if we had to have a Puerto Rican in space, this is the worst version of a Puerto Rican in space. But I do think the Luke Skywalker stuff went on for a bit longer than I would have liked. But I think the sentiment of you have to bury the past, you have to burn it, you have to walk away from it, is the healthiest thing for Star Wars going forward that you can have. And they ignore it at their peril. Because every time it seems like we just double back and loop around and find ways to, to reconnect with the Skywalker saga, it is always going to be a case of diminishing returns. The more we do it, the less cool it's going to be. You know, even though there could be moments we love. I mean, Kenobi wears that sort of object lesson for me. But The Mandalorian, much as I love Luke Skywalker's appearance and, and that season finale, the more you engage with that stuff, the less interesting it becomes for me. So there's, there's quite a bit that I do like about that movie. And I think it's gorgeous. I think it's probably the yeah. best directed Star Wars movie we've ever got, and 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 for me it comes down to, to two scenes, and I'm not sure I can choose between them. And it's the it's the the Kylo Ren and Rey back to back in Snoke's chamber after his murder, like that feeling of oh, they're gonna what, and then kicking <laughs> off like the best lightsaber fight we'd had since Duel of the Fates. That that has like 100 percent less flipping around and doing like "wee!" And more we're actually going to like batter people with lightsabers until they fall down. You know, but that feeling of hope that immediately gets dashed is probably the one that I go with. My the, the close second for me is uh your friend and mine, Joanna Robinson, referred to it as the Holdo Maneuver, which took my breath away in the movie when she puts down the hammer and jumps into lightspeed and shatters the first order fleet. It was just this breathtaking move of anime bravura to just, we're dropping the sound. It's all going to feel like it's just a a pair of still photos put up next to each other. But it is the ballsiest move in Star Wars I've seen in a long time. The only reason it's not my choice is because that honestly, in hindsight, should have been Carrie Fisher maneuver. Because when that movie was made, when that movie was released, we knew we were not going to have any more Carrie Fisher. And so if you've got to send out a general, that's how you send out a general. Um, sacrificing herself for her rebellion that she built when she was a child. That's that's my only ding on that scene. I think it's gorgeous, but... So yeah, I go the the Ray kylo moment.
1: Well, listen, it wasn't the Leia maneuver, it was the Holdo maneuver, which is why Holdo should have been ranked higher on our top 100 characters <laughs> list, and these two ladies <laughs> wouldn't let me do it. She's in like the top 30? Yeah, she she's,
3: she's high. She's, my sister didn't even way up her there. on the list. My sister <laughs> went off the list. Like, Your, sister her Your sister doesn't <laughs> even know what her name is. Your uh, sister doesn't even know what her
1: name is. I love that scene. I love the Kylo Ren team up. That's my pick as well, Mark. It's so beautifully shot, it's so well choreographed, it's just so exciting. The music, like everything's working in tandem in that scene the sound, the visuals. I love it, love it, love it. The only one I'd add would be the the Luke Kylo fight, where you realize Luke's not there mm. the whole time. The first time I saw it, like I'm like, this is weird. He looks different. Why does he look that way? Like, why his has hair his hair also- been just for me? Yeah, it's like, yeah. because yeah, yeah. so
2: so like, he loves a dramatic entrance. As I said, he knew he had to
3: wrap, like show up, started, rocking a new haircut. It's like your hair's never been that dark.
1: I knew something was off but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So when that happened, I was that was like a oh, like moment for me as well and then you see him, you know, hovering there and that was great. Those are my three favorite moments of the of the film. What about you, Devin? What do you got? I know you love 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 this movie.
2: Yeah, I mean, and to be clear, when I talk about why I love this movie, I I do not think it is a perfect movie. I have a lot of the same issues with it that a lot of other people do. I think the Canto Bite stuff doesn't work quite as well as I wish it did. Um, I think that we've talked a lot about how I saw so much more potential in Finn's character specifically and would have loved to see that kind of go in a different direction. But the reason I love Last Jedi so much is that its it feels like Star Wars without being slavishly devoted to Star Wars. It, it isn't afraid to blow things up. It isn't afraid to try new things and make big swings. And, and to me, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, those gas Moments, those moments that just stun you in your theater seat. And to me, Last Jedi is the closest I've come to watching the original Star Wars, just the sense of wonder and magic that it evoked in me. I mean, that I love Duel of the Fates. I would almost maybe put Kylo and Rey's lightsaber battle above that. I'm going to give it a little bit, a couple more years to really let it cement itself in my mind. But I think there's just such an incredible kinetic energy there's like almost a romantic erotic tension there that is just so much fun to watch and it's just it rules it rules so hard and and i'll i'll, I'll also point out one little tiny shot that i really love from this movie um Which is where they've landed on crate and they're sort of the rebel, the the rebels are waiting for the first order to show up and basically decimate them. And we see this shot of Carrie Fisher sort of looking out over the salt flats and she's got her collar turned up. So you just see her eyes just sort of staring out at the horizon. And there's this, just this look of steely determination in her face and, and worry, but also hope. And that to me, just I remember the first time I saw that shot, it just it floored me. Um, And I I don't know. I just, something about that really, really struck with me. And, and this whole movie has really not left my brain since I saw it. I mean, whatever your thoughts are on the last Jedi, there's a reason we're still arguing about it. Five years later.
1: Lauren, do you want to argue about the best moment in the last Jedi or what do you have?
3: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll also go with the throne room, but I will say like when I saw the last Jedi in the theaters, the throne room, when he, cut smoke in half i was like holy and I, i'm probably cursed at the time in front of all the other people in the theater that whole scene was amazing but i do acknowledge that the last Jedi it seemed more interested in the force users than any of the other cast i really loved the last Jedi at the time but as i revisit it the whole like b and c plots with poe and rose and finn are just they just kind of seem like first drafts to me uh where it was just like you guys you needed to put some more uh, energy in this and then also, controversially, I did really enjoy what they did with Luke and like how, you know, uh, like I, I thought he Mark Hamill gave a beautiful performance. But the fact that we knew Carrie Fisher had died before this movie, I really don't think Luke should have died in this movie because then it just creates a huge problem in Rise of Skywalker where you're like, they're all dead and this is really depressing. I really do think at the end that Luke shouldn't have died And then I think that's when he should have raised his X-wing back up instead of Rise of Skywalker. I think that's when he should have finally like raised it up and joined the fight. I was just like, "Come on, man! What's going? Like, we're not getting a real reunion and like all this other stuff." So I was like, "I was like, I kind of like I want him to sort of trick Kylo, but then get 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 his butt back in the fight." So that's that's kind of my uh, uh, maybe a controversial opinion, but I think in light of what happened to Carrie Fisher, I think you needed a living Skywalker. Uh, during the rise of Skywalker.
0: Yeah. And the weird cardinal sin of the entire sequel trilogy is that we never got those three people on the frame together. Like here's a Simon number one. Just, (laughs) I need I need all three of these guys. Come on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's such, it's such a good point. Um, But they, they couldn't like, they had already finished filming when, when Carrie Fisher died. Not to say that they couldn't have gone and refilmed and rejiggered.
3: I do think they could have rejiggered Luke being alive relatively easily.
1: Speaking of reshoots, (laughs) uh, that brings us to Solo. Uh, That brings us to Solo, the the movie that killed Star Wars movies, or at least Star Wars stories, on the big screen and put them on the the little screen. Uh, Mark, uh, good luck, dude. What do you got here on
0: Solo? (laughs) I feel like this this is a movie that falls into the trap of answering questions that nobody actually wanted answered. Totally. I did not here, I did here. not need mm-hmm. to know so many of the things that they felt very insistent upon informing me about. And to the point where giving me those answers makes the things less cool than they had been if it was just the thing I imagined. I did not need to see the Kessel I didn't need to know how he gets his last name. The thing that I did need, however, that is my choice, is how many capes does Lando Calrissian have? <laughs> all of the capes you take me in that dude's like like walk-in room on the falcon just filled with capes I, I was i was here for donald Glover's whole performance but the moment where just you know the caposexual that is lando calrissian reveals the wonders of his closet is uh, is the moment that like oh yeah no i'm here for this i'm here for him mecking on that robot like wall fixture i'm here for all of <laughs> That's a great one. Palooza is my pick.
1: Yeah, man, fire it up! I, I the only thing I can go with here would be I did like the way they had Han shoot first on Tobias Beckett, which is the Woody Harrelson character, where you know he basically because of all the controversy and the whole Greedo situation and Mose Eisley, the fact that they showed him definitively doing that. Uh, I did like that. And I said, that's sort of their their acknowledgement now that George is out of the picture with making creative decisions to be like, yeah, okay, he's shooting first year. So I, I appreciated that moment, at least, Devin.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I vaguely remember the the train heist being kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Gotta love a heist. Yeah. Um, but, but it doesn't really stick with me that much. Um, yeah, uh, overall, I mean, I think for me, the stuff that really works is... And the experience I had watching this movie is just thinking, oh, this should have been the Lando movie. I think everybody who walked out of that that movie realized I would have rather watched three hours of Donald Glover and droid Phoebe Waller-Bridge just like flirting and having adventures and like being scoundrels as opposed to what we got, which was this. So to me, that's always been what worked best about this movie for me. And that's, you know, when I think about that movie, that's exactly the first thing that comes to mind.
1: Maybe on Disney Plus, you'll uh, get your wish. Uh, Lauren, what about you?
3: Uh, I liked the character of Enfis Nest. I like these sort of like the stirrings of these tiny rebellions that were going on all over the place. So I thought Emphasnest Nest was just like, she just sort of popped up. And I believe it's Erin uh, Kellerman, uh, who uh, is going to be in uh, The Willow Show. So Lucasfilm mm. has obviously liked her. You know, I just thought she was kind of a fascinating character. And I was like, I'd like to know more about her. Not so much more uh, anything that's going on over here, so that was sort of one thing where I just sort of was like, oh, this is another one where I would have liked to see the original cut because you know Lord and Miller have made some very, very good movies, and I would have liked to see exactly what take they had actually envisioned for this and what exactly it the sort of pedestrian movie it wound up being
1: and we could have seen Michael K. Williams or at least heard Michael oh, K. Yeah. Williams, mm. who was going to yeah. do an alien character, the original bad guy, I spoke to him about that. I asked him about that, and he he was so hyped about the job he did yeah. and the work he did in that film. And it's kind of a shame we'll never get to see it. Because, you know, they never, you know, like all the Rogue One we, stuff we talked about earlier, there's so much extra stuff there. And yeah. like, I just feel like we never, other than those few deleted scenes you would get on a DVD, they just never open the vaults to this stuff, which is no. really, really a shame. And it, it, to those that are listening right now and screaming at us because you really like Solo, I will say we, we, we give equal time. And we're going to have someone on uh, in a few weeks who's a a big solo defender. Uh, I won't mention who, but he's a he's a he's got he's got some things to say, and we're going to let him say it. And we're going to have a a big solo deep dive coming up around the corner in a little. a few weeks. That person is not Mark Bernard. By the way, no, no.
2: no. I will. I will say when I was at Star Wars Celebration, um, you know, Ron Howard came out because he was he was talking about the Willow show, and there was huge cheers of Solo Two, make Solo Two, and Ron goes, yeah, that's I. I don't get say over there <laughs> or whatever whatever he actually said, but. There's an audience out there for it,
1: but <laughs> yeah, that's, we're, I don't know if I'm part of it. We get to move on now. We get to finish up with Mark Bernardin's favorite Star Wars movie, Rise Kick of Skywalker. Of the I will say this. I will say this quickly. I'll give a little tease. There is a moment in this movie that I loved when I first saw it and then got so angry later. I'll reveal that in the, after Mark. Mark, what do you got for your favorite moment, if you found one?
0: Uh, no, I, ha- I, have, I have two, one of which is Genuine. And one of which, it's only because it's so emblematic of the problems with this movie. The one that's genuine, you know, I think everybody will be familiar with because it was the teaser trailer they released for this movie. It's Rey versus a TIE fighter, you know, and and that sequence is actually beautiful. Like, it's incredibly well done. She's a badass. She sees a TIE fighter rolling down on her and she runs away and flips in the air and chops it in half. Like, that is, that's some deep Jedi business. And I, I totally dug that moment. The one that actually speaks to the entirety of the movie for me, it's 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 three words. It's three words delivered by one of our greatest actors. Somehow, Palpatine returned. <laughs> like, I mean, you have to drill so deep into that to find the layers of, we just thought we could write that line and people would buy it. And then Oscar Isaac is like, I have to deliver this line in a way that- betrays my loathe and disdain for this line. So I'm going to step on it as much as I can with this delivery. And yet the camera is going to be right here on my face. And I just got to like bounce my curly hair and somehow make you believe that that's a <laughs> thing that could just happen because I said it just happened. And we'll never talk about how it happens. Somehow you guys Palpatine return. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, God bless Oscar
2: Isaac man. Yeah. I mean, he looked like he had a to migraine. To bring even the sh- Yeah. <laughs> he really
1: did. <laughs> I literally almost gave myself a migraine over a, a Star Wars line. I I've, I've said this before. Like to me the worst Star Wars line ever is in the Phantom Menace when what's his face is talking to Nate Gunray, those those two um Trade Federation baddies <laughs> and you know they you're like havocs now happening on Naboo and things are getting out of control. And he says, you know, we, we better tell Lord Sidious. And he goes, no need to report that to him until we have something to report. And just the fact that they, <laughs> they repped report. I'm like, there's so many ways you could have said that without repping report. No yeah. need to report that to him until we have something to report. I'm just like, come on. Just like spend five minutes yeah, fixing that line. Here. First yeah. Look,
2: George Lucas wasn't involved in Rise of Skywalker, but they said, you know, we're going to pay tribute to him by giving him giving some of the worst dialogue you've ever heard. <laughs> I would just, love because that's know. what Star Wars is
3: about. I would love to know what Lucas thinks about Rise of Skywalker because I can imagine him just being like, "Oh God, <laughs> like yeah. what did they do?" Somehow. Yeah,
1: I had a Somehow. moment that I actually thought was super badass and impressive when it happened, and that's when. We thought Ray had killed Chewy. When Ray all of a sudden is trying to pull back that transport and you know it's trying to get away, and Kylo's trying to get help it get away. And then she pulls it and then lightning strikes it and blows that S up. I was like, oh my God, they killed Chewy. That's terrible. That's awful. It's also awesome that they had the balls to do that. That they had, that they'd actually, it's a last film, so it's not really that ballsy, but like still, they killed Chewy. How could, how dare they? That's awesome. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> God bless you. Like it was just, I'm like, oh my God, because I get so mad in, in big franchise films and whether it's Star Wars or Marvel or whatever, where they do the fake death. Marvel had a run of like six movies in a row where they, you know, oh, they just killed Nick Fury. Psych! You know, every time they thought you killed someone, they didn't kill someone. And so I thought, oh my God, they did it. They killed Chewie. And then what? Five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. I don't know what yeah. it was. You realize he's not dead at all. And I was just like happy, but also bummed because they didn't have the guts to do it. They want, they want the emotional payoff, but they don't have the guts to do it.
3: Right before the rise of Skywalker, I had been on some Reddit Star Wars spoiler boards and they knew almost the entire plot of the movie. I don't know where they got it. <laughs> so people had been talking about this, like Ray Lightning Strike and like this whole, like Ray's a Palpatine. And I was like, please God, please make this be wrong. Please make this be wrong. Please. And as soon as I saw the Lightning Strike, I was like, oh my God, she's a Palpatine. No, <laughs> like just the, everything. I was just like, the, as soon as I heard that and like I knew that the rest of the was gonna go the way they said it on reddit and i just remember like seeing like going oh no oh no oh no and so like even just you didn't care about chewy you're like forget chewy i knew he i knew chewy was gonna be alive because i knew they blew him up but that he would actually be alive so i was like "Er, whatever he's he's alive uh and this is my fault for spoiling myself but like from like the dead speak on through i was just like oh God, what are they doing <laughs> the entire um, time? So. That's
1: what you get for reading spoilers, I Lauren. know, I know. <laughs> that's what you get. You did that to yourself. Devin, what was your reaction when you saw that scene and then later when you got the reveal?
2: I just had a feeling of horror in the pit of my stomach the whole time I was watching because I part of the reason I love The Last Jedi so much is that Ray nobody mm-hmm. storyline mm-hmm. the idea I love little broom boy at the end I love the idea that the Skywalker saga is not because of your great lineage but because it's the choices that you make the the actions that you do um, and so the idea that we were going to reveal Ray's parentage and she was going to be a Palpatine and all that just but just. I hated it. I hated every second of it. It just made me angry. I, I despise it. I, I will say, when, when we talk about rise of Skywalker, I think there is one thing that pretty much everyone can agree that Babu Frick is good. Mm-hmm. We do love Babu. Frick. <laughs> yes. Um, we love his little, Hey, Hey, <laughs> um, apparently he's, he might be popping up in Mandalorian or at least some, some guys who look like Babu Frick, which I'm like, I'm here for it. We, we love Babu Frick. So, so for me, when I think about the rise of Skywalker, you know, I, I would love to see the Babu Frick cut where it's just like 10 minutes of, of Babu Frick. And that's the whole movie <laughs> and everything else can, can, go Out with the um, go down the trash compactor,
0: yeah. Just call it freaking amazing, freaking amazing, <laughs> exactly. 20 minutes of Babu
3: Frick. That would be so much <laughs> Mark, better we're gonna write than it. what we got, so much better than
1: what we got. <laughs> so, nothing, nothing from Devin or Lauren in terms of any scenes, <laughs> no. just Babu Frick. Just Babu, Babu Frick. Right. Frick is my, is my pick.
3: I, I will say this scene towards the end when Ray passes Kylo the lightsaber and then he kicks all cool. of the knights of, yeah. Because the that knights cool. of Ren were just so stupid, they were stupid in in Force Awakens. They were stupid in Rise of Skywalker. So I was just glad to see him kill them all. <laughs> and oh, the other thing I hated about it was like his mask <laughs> came back. I was like, we're gonna take one of the best actors in the current generation, one of the best actors in, in the country right now, and we're gonna put a mask back on him. This makes sense. Like I, I was so glad in the in uh, the last Shadow when he destroyed his mask. I was like, yes thank you get rid of that stupid looking thing and then it came back and i was pissed.
1: well it's really it's really emblematic of you know that entire last film where it was just jj yeah. J. abrams undoing everything, everything that had been done yeah. literally putting the mask back together that ryan johnson had smashed
3: it, it was just like a, i found like it was just a gutless movie all around what they did to kelly marie oh. tran where she's in it for like a minute oh. and a half i thought that was like shameful just like ray palpatine was shameful i just
1: I so so you three generally liked the film, though, right? <laughs> Dalton.
3: Can you tell
2: we're Star Wars yeah. We love Star Wars so much. Like just
3: pure joy. I <laughs> literally kicked this one out of my personal canon, because I cannot deal with it. Like, wow. I'm just like, out you go.
2: I'm,
0: Somehow, you know. Palpatine returned, Dalton. Somehow.
3: <laughs> the dead speed.
0: Yeah.
1: Listen, there's no need to report on that, Mark, until there's something to report, okay? <laughs> yeah. We don't need to keep talking about this. Uh, listen, this was, we've gone on way too long. This was so much fun. Mark, thanks for, for spending the time with us, hanging out, geeking out, talking Star Wars, man. You and I used to do this in the office back in the day, and it's just awesome to be able to do it again with you here on the podcast.
0: This has been a blast so much. Thank you for the invite. Anytime you want me to come and dispatch some Dagobahs, uh, I I await the call. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, everyone check out
1: Mark's graphic novel, A Door in the Distance. You can get it wherever you want. You can get it on Amazon or even more. Go, go, to, go to your local comic book shop. Go to your independent comic book shop and get it get it right there, wherever you want. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Thanks again, Mark.
0: Thank you, gang.
1: Our thanks to Mark Bernardin for hanging out with us. We will have the cast of Andor joining us next week. And this time, I really, really mean it. We're having a blast doing this, and we hope you are having a blast listening to it. If so, please follow, and please rate the podcast, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do leave us a review, we'll give you a shout-out right here on the pod. Also, hit us up on social media. You can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us at Dalton Ross at Devin Kogan, and at Morg Lore. Thanks so much, and may the force be with you.
2: This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.